and welcome to Shut the Fuck Up. We are not done talking yet. And today is, I keep saying this, April 16th, about one month after the state of California locked down on our bizarre journey through the COVID-19 health crisis. It's just getting weird. But anyway, we have a beautiful special guest who is going to enlighten us on all things about Buckminster Fuller. And her name is Patricia Ravazio. I've known Pat. It's like coming up on 20, it's like 20 years that I've known you. So that's just nutty. Um, and uh, we have mutual friends because you live in a different town and I know all those people. So what the hell? Here you are. So welcome to our show. I once claimed to be your portal to Marin County. And now you're my portal to the outside world. Look, so. And she did this when she... When she told me that, she went like this. She made herself a portal with her arms. It was hysterical. Yeah, so I'm glad you got to meet my friend Charlotte. Charlotte and I have been doing this podcast for you. a year, and we always invite very interesting people on, and you are included in that uh, cast, so thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So tell, me, tell us when you published your book. So my book came out in uh, September of 2017. And I self-published it because I was in a panic after Donald Trump got elected. And I thought I needed to get it out right away because it was going to be the book that would save the world. And I needed to really get it out there. And uh, so I don't know that I got it out there quite as far as if I'd had like a big publisher. Um, but I've sold a lot and it's getting great reviews. And now people are seeing that Buckminster Fuller's comprehensive worldview about looking at the earth as a single organism that we are part of uh, is becoming more critical in our future. What is the title of your book, Pat? The book is called The Girl from Spaceship Earth. And it's my memoir of my meeting with and being exposed to Richard Buckminster Fuller when I was a young girl, and then again as a reporter in Chicago, I interviewed him over a period of two days. I was fascinated by the way he thought, as was my father. My dad was an architect, and uh, he led me to, uh, he took me to go see Buckminster Fuller in 1969 to see his world game. And I'd love to talk to you guys about the world game if you're interested in that, but. Sure. Um, the world game, as my dad called it, was the opposite of monopoly in that the person who helps the most people win is the winner. You know, in monopoly or in capitalism, as the game proceeds, fewer and fewer people own more and more wealth. And finally, it's one person owning all the wealth and everyone else is destitute and gone. That's and kind of Trump's worldview, if I can interject. Exactly. Well, it's, it's he needs capitalism. to be winners and losers. It's capitalism. It's the patriarchal capitalistic paradigm that has been our reality now for a couple hundred years, and it's coming to an end. And it's a beautiful thing to watch it start to writhe like a spitting dragon, which is who Trump is. It's all very Game of Thronesy to me. It's that too. Ah, yeah. Jesus. But go back to the game. The okay, 19, the world game. 1969. 1969 yeah, the world was the same week, uh, the same year as Woodstock, 
and it was the same year that we landed on the moon. And my dad wanted to take the family to Woodstock, all four children. And my mother thought he was ridiculous and said no. And so the solution instead was a trip to see Buckminster Fuller's World Game at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, where he was teaching. And he had a huge map of the world laid out like on a gymnasium floor, a ballroom. It was more like a ballroom at a uh, college. And he had this huge map of the world laid out. And he was talking about how in the future, we would be able to monitor all the resources and all the needs in all of the countries. And we would be able to instantaneously respond to the needs of various places and move resources around the world because there was going to be this big new global cooperation. And so the game allowed people to, and they were doing it by pencil. It was actually the most boring thing ever. I mean, they were actually cat cataloging, you know, where was the oil, where were the minerals, where was, where was the timber, you know, it was about resources mm -hmm. and then wise management of those resources with nature as the paramount uh, objective with, with he, he knew he was the first globalist and, and really often cited as a very early environmentalist. I mean, other than like Henry David Thoreau and those, but he talked about seeing the world from a global perspective. And that's where spaceship earth comes from. That was the term he coined for how we should be looking at the earth. Uh-huh. Wow. Did he have any thoughts about what kind of global government would have to arise in order to manage these resources? Well, he thought that government would that providing uh, objective was that we should all be working for to make every to make the world work for one hundred percent of the people through spontaneous cooperation without ecological harm and to the disadvantage of no one. And if we made that our objective, we could accomplish it. And the reason why we can't make ourselves the objective is number one thing I told myself I was gonna get through to you and Danielle, because I know sometimes these conversations about Bucky just kind of go all over airy fairy is that one of the things he called for us to do was to understand specious notions. Do you guys know what specious means? Uh, fake, misleading, wrong. <laughs> I'm just guessing. So, so, it adds, so it actually has a very, a little bit more of a specific meaning than that, in that it is apparently true. It yeah. seems true. It seems true to everybody. And so we accept it as true even though it's not. So specious is very specific. Specific. <laughs> um, and at one of the example of a specious notion, which was trained into us through our economics and capitalistic view of the world, is that scarcity is a fact of life. So, we are told, oh, there's never going to be enough for everybody. So there's always going to be these battles. There's always going to be these rivalries. There's always going to be war. There has to be because that's just the way the world is. Get over it. And it's that kind of thinking that actually leads down that path, right? You prepare for war 
if, you, if all you do is prepare for war, that's all we're going to know. The whole idea that we have to really look hard at what the truth really is and understand that a lot of these things are being served up to us on purpose. And I'm not a huge like conspiracy, you know, uh, agenda 21, the deep state is out to do surveillance all over every, which they probably are, but I, that's not my area of interest. Mine is the way people think. And I think that subtle shifts in thinking, like just understanding, wait a minute, we're being drilled in that this is, that this is the way it has to be when it doesn't. For example, one of the things he said is, it always floored him, and I loved him for this. He said, how could it possibly be that the most advanced and sophisticated species on the entire planet is the only species that's come to accept that it must punch in every day and labor away just to earn its right to live? You know, animals roam freely and uh, birds fly without time cards and yet humanity who's so sophisticated and so intelligent has accepted that we will be these sort of drone like creatures well but the, the animal kingdom this. the animal kingdom also has scarcity so they have to compete with each other so that some of them eat each other some of them have to hide um a, a, pre, a pride of lions can go can go hungry because they've got a bad hunter so they have you know some of this stuff but they're also not and you know and they also there's a lot of um uh, animal uh, groups that have uh, alpha, right? They have alpha males and alpha females. Boy, do we have that. There is a great, there's a great movie that everyone should see and it's called simply Stress. It's a National Geographic movie about a, uh, they, uh, researchers at Stanford had been studying this community of apes for decades and watched how it interacted because they're very similar to humans in that they put they have little family pods and then they have sort of community pods and they were studying what happened when the when the uh, community became stressed and it was always when the men returned home without the hunt if they hadn't gotten any meat that day the women would get angry the men would get angry and they would have physical violence against the women and sometimes rape and the children as well and it, was, it got to be terrible because the more scarcity there was, the more the alpha males were acting out and causing the society to, to fall into ruin. And a terrible thing happened in that somebody deposited some poison steak nearby and all the alpha males ran off and ate it. And so all the alpha males died. And the community, they thought, the researchers initially thought, oh God, that's awful, there goes our experiment. But no, what happened next? is the beta males who had survived because they hadn't made it to the meat on time. Uh, they nurtured the women who rose up to lead the community. The leaders among the women rose up and said, we can do this. And they put child rearing first and home sustainability, gardening, food. You know, they weren't so intent on having the big hunt for the meat. They were gardening and doing things more with hunting and gathering and berries and those kind of things. So there's lots of evidence that the alpha male element in our society is the problem. Yeah, it's toxic. You know, this kind of reminds me of what goes on, like what is going on right now with the coronavirus and we have this like global crisis. And 
some people are thinking, ah, I need to buy guns. I need to stockpile. There's going to be scarcity. Um, this is going to be the end. You know, it's apocalyptic. Then other people are doing kind of what you were describing. They're spontaneously organizing. They're helping neighbors. They're shipping stuff around the world. People are deciding, oh, I'm going to drop off some masks for my local health department so they can get it to the hospitals. And it is at a very kind of um, individual level. But it's also very global because people are seeing all around the world who needs what. And organizing themselves without any kind of real structure other than, hey, just reaching out. It's quite so interesting. It's, it's wonderful because I think what we are seeing is evolution of humanity. That we not only have this global awareness now, but we're developing this global compassion as a species. And that's what Buckminster Fuller said was the most important thing for us to do. I don't know if you guys know Barbara Marks Hubbard. She recently passed away. She was a great Bucky uh, student and uh, philosopher who talked about conscious evolution and how if humanity would simply wrap its head around that need and understand what it was, that we'd be all set because people would understand that we just needed to become a syntropic versus an entropic species. And to become syntropic, you simply have to put the good of the whole first, which is exactly what this virus is doing. It's, it's been very heartwarming to me to see how all of us said, okay, let's do it. And we weren't necessarily doing it for ourselves. I didn't fear for my life, even though I'm technically in the 60 plus uh, category, I didn't fear for my life, but it felt good to take action as a species. It felt, and I think, I think that is going to help propel us. It's going to develop more and more momentum so that we can make these uh, evolutionary leaps that we need to make in order to get back to nature and understand how to be part of this spaceship Earth. Well, the coronavirus, because it is totally global and has affected every single person, it drives home the point that we're all super connected, we're interconnected. Right. You know, it's like this idea that, oh, it started in China, and so we can keep it out and contain it. That isn't true, because we are totally a global species right now. We are connected with each other. And, and our behavior recently, I mean, I noticed it among my friends, my rich white friends, and not all rich, but there's a lot of them who were bouncing around the globe like ping pong balls. I mean, not just taking a trip a year, but like, I'm going to Botswana, and then I'm going to be in Paris for a while, and then I'm going to, we're going to Thailand, and da, 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 da. and if you just can data, you know, put, put that in a meme and show how people were just moving and moving around. It's, it's tension. It's exacerbation. We were, we were literally asking for it, for something to uh, fly and connect the globe so quickly in such an awful way. It's like it was a natural, and that's what a lot of people are saying is so eerie, is that 
this COVID seems to be like nature's own virus. Like if nature could have designed a virus to protect itself, this would have been a smart one. Yeah. It might have been worse though. I mean, this one could have been worse. It could have been much more contagious and much more deadly. And of course, something like that probably will arise at some point. Yeah, you know, and I mean, it has endearing qualities. I mean, the way it protects children, the way it's been so good to children. I love that, right? You know what? Speaking of um, the virus, I was looking up something called the Buckminster Fullerene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us about fullerenes? I can. I can. It's really a great thing because... So Buckminster Fuller's seminal work, which is available free on my website, it's 1,400 pages. You don't have to read it all. If you just read the introduction, you will get the concept. You don't need to study and know the math. But there's great math going on behind here. And that was what Buckminster Fuller wanted to pass on to humanity. What I said before about nature's design principles, this is how nature builds. So he created the dome, the geodesic dome, and used that uh, as his metaphor for how we needed to integrate ourselves with nature and understand nature. And he predicted that these elements were everywhere in nature. We could see them in dandelion seed pods. We could see them in other sorts of natural creations. But when Buckminster Fuller died in 1983, the electron microscopes were just coming into being. And it wasn't until 1986 that some professors down at Rice University in Texas, researchers, uh, went far enough in looking microscopically at these molecules that they found what is only the third kind of carbon ever identified on the planet. And it was a carbon 60 molecule. I'm not sure if this is 60, but it's about 60. So it's a 60 sided mm -hmm. spherical structure. And you can Google it and you will be amazed at the number of industries that have been altered because of this little molecule, the discovery of this molecule. Because it's open, it's cage-like, you can put medicine in it and send it through the bloodstream to reach a certain part of the body. And medicine mm. is doing that now. And it won the uh, Nobel Prize sometime later, like I think in 1990 maybe, and to me, it was like, Eureka, Buckminster Fuller's great prophecies are being proven true. We should all go back and look at them again. And zip. I mean, the number of people who are interested in Buckminster Fuller is just not. And my, even my daughters will go, Mom, he's a dead genius. Come on. <laughs> so is Leonardo da Vinci. I mean... People still refer to him and are Absolutely. astonished yeah. at how forward-looking he was. He invented things on paper that came into being a couple hundred years later. And Steve Jobs called Buckminster Fuller the Leonardo da Vinci of the 20th century. That would be a great title for your show, is just the Leonardo da Vinci of the 20th century. Sure, that's and a great idea because uh, his work still is not understood. There's actually one, if you, want to, if you want to really interview a super cool person who is the one person who I think understands Buckminster Fuller's whole math and why she can explain why this is the secret to saving humanity. 
and I kind of could, but it would take a really long time. But she understands the math. And she is a professor at Harvard named Amy Edmondson. She's brilliant. And she would love to talk to you, I'm sure, about Bucky because she doesn't get asked very often. Now she's a professor Novartis of uh, team management. And she works to bring synergy, which is another great Bucky concept, bring synergy to working teams. Beautiful. So... Cool. I'm. I have we have I covered the, the the one thing that I would love to just say about my book is it's not hard to read and it's not all about Bucky's uh, math and science. It's about what he called his integrities, and integrities are individual qualities that we ascribe to and aspire to. And there were actually eight altogether that I identified and they're in a list in the back of my book about the things that we need. Do I have time? Do I have just Pat, would you to like just... to choose a part of the book and just read to us? We love that when authors read to us. Oh, I'd love to read to you. But, but let me just, so back in the back here, in the back. Oh, you can. Um, so Eight Bucky ideas to save the planet and your sanity. And to me, the message here is that if you sort of wrap your head around this kind of thinking and then decide to sort of lean in and be a good trim tab in these ways, not only will you be doing your share as a microorganism on the planet to create the right energies, but you'll feel a lot better about how you're living. And uh, that's been the best reviews that I've gotten of my book are from people who said, oh my God, you made me feel like I was okay because I am trying to live in accordance with nature's rules, nature's mm -hmm. rules. So uh, one, embrace abundance, not scarcity. Number two, realign with nature. Number three, demand true democracy. So back in 1982, I don't know why we haven't done it yet. Bucky said, you're going to have a little thing on your wrist and you're going to wake up every morning and it's going to ask for your vote. What do you, what do you want this to be? What do you want that to be? And we're all going to wake up and we're all going to vote every day. And we're going to make decisions that way. I'm like, that's great. Anyway, um, cool. I would love to read a little piece. Gee, what should I read? Well, your favorite part. What part did you read at your oh. book readings? Good question. Uh, so what happened to me was I got so swept away by Buckminster Fuller in 1982 when he told me that Ronald Reagan and his thugs, Carl Rove, Dick Cheney, the guys still running things now, were coming in and taking over. And they did. They did amazing things to plant free market thinking and trickle down economics as a specious, it was the most specious notion ever, right? That we could all be millionaires. If we just gave enough to the top, it would all just keep trickling down, right? And um, I thought for sure I was going to drop everything and turn my life over to spreading these great ideas and making sure people understood the truth of what was going on in the world. And, um, and then I fell in love with my husband and Bob, my Bob, <laughs> Bob. 
he, he's my excuse. He just like, he wanted to cook for me. He wanted to take me to music concerts. And I just was like, Bucky who, you know, it just didn't seem the world wasn't ending anymore. Everything was fine. But it was 9-11 that I uh, woke up because I realized that Bucky had predicted 9-11 in that, in not, not directly, but he said this quote, he said, future wars will not be fought between countries, but by rogue oppressed groups that we have put down. They will find ways to attack us. And it may be that they attack our financial systems. Anyway, I went to St. Pat's, dropped my kids off, and I'll read just, I drove home listening to amped up radio news reporters fretting over whether the Golden Gate Bridge might be next. I envisioned its giant arge, metal arms collapsing into the ocean, cars tumbling into the sea, the world disintegrating into itself. I found myself praying for the first time, please don't let Rob be on that bridge if it comes down, and please don't let me go crazy. Maybe the Catholic religion had gotten through to me at long last. I counted my blessings that I had given up on journalism. For so many years, I kicked myself for abandoning one of the most noble professions to join one of the most notorious. Advertising had turned out not only to be soulless, but a major cause of America's problem with excessive material consumption. No matter how successful I was at writing ads, they were still just ads. Enticements to buy stuff nobody really needed, stuff that was killing the planet. Not to mention that I was writing ads, uh, meaning I, oh, sorry, was a complete waste of whatever meager ration of God-given created talent I'd been given. Had I succeeded in journalism, I might have been right there in New York at ground zero when I couldn't even stomach watching it on TV from 3,000 miles away. We were so lucky to have escaped to the other side of the country to be raising children in a lush green paradise where every single day until this one had been a live streaming miracle. Sunlit hit my windshield as I turned the minivan on our tree-lined street. I felt full of gratitude. But then momentarily blinded, I pulled the car over, smiled at the warmth on my face, but that's when Bucky's voice burst back into my head for the first time. America is likely to fail. Future wars will not be fought by nations, but by rogue groups who will come to see America as the bully. My hands gripped the steering wheel. Had he just made a reservation in my mind all those years ago and now had come back to sit down with me once again on this horrific day? America thinks it is too big to fail, which is why that is the likely outcome. Our intense sense of nationalism could be our undoing. We are proving ourselves incapable of integrating with the world. Wow. Wow. wow, that has actually become even more the case right now. Well, that's what I think is that we've come full circle, you know? We're back. We're back where we were in 1980, 1979. Yeah. Hey, um, Pat and Charlotte, can we just take a break for just a moment? I will Sure. be right back. Sure.
Okay, so eight Bucky ideas to save both the planet and your sanity. And what I love about these is they just represent sort of subtle shifts in thinking. It's like you just got to throw the switch and then you got to check to make sure that that switch stays open. So embrace abundance, not scarcity. Humans are falsely conditioned by the notion of scarcity promoted by Charles Darwin and Thomas Malthus. The idea of survival of the fittest sets up an us versus them mentality. Only by embracing abundance and setting out to prove that there is enough for all will we achieve Bucky's overriding objective, which I said before, making the world work for 100% of the people through spontaneous cooperation, not relying on government, uh, and without ecological damage, without harm of any individual. Okay, so that's number one. I'll go, I'll go quicker on some of the others, but that's a really important one. Number two, realign with nature. This is a physiological uh, new polarity that humans must find. We all need to go out and just lie down on the ground and look up at the trees and lay there for a while and realize that the earth is a cellular structure and we are one of the cells within that structure and our ability to realign ourselves with that natural world is critical to our future. And what's scary to me is all of this inactivity that's come about through COVID is only about getting us halfway to where the recommended annual change in emissions would be. So in other words, the Paris Accord said we needed to achieve 7%. As a result of this global slowdown that we're experiencing now, emissions are down about three or 4%. So this is only halfway to where we somehow need to be. Now, it's not all through inactivity. It's through switching to solar and uh, other forms of energy instead of uh, the fossil fuel industry. But right now, the fossil fuel industry is coming hell at a gate to Trump, demanding that they receive huge subsidies in order to prop up their industries and even continue to build pipelines, and they need to be shut down. See, I can't get through eight. You can't. I, can't I know. Get through okay, try. Just try. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two, realign with nature, humanity's most critical task. Number three, demand true democracy. Mm -hmm. You know, our real government would really be something that was spontaneous in real time. I think somehow Facebook is, is kind of the answer there somehow. Everyone's got their, their identity, it's your legal identity, and you can vote every day on, on what needs to happen next. Um, one of the things that he said, this is a really great quote, I think. He said, you may ask me, how are we ever going to resolve the ever accelerating dangerous impasse of world opposed politicians and ideological dogmas? I answer that it will be resolved by the computer. While no politician or political system can afford to yield to their adversaries and opponents. All politicians can and will yield to the computer's safe flight controlling capabilities as they do everywhere around the world with traffic control. So it's proof we can do it. We're already doing it. We just need to apply that kind of survival of all mentality to everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Number four is know your individual power. 
this gets into some of the women, uh, the women's issues that Bucky wrote about. He wrote extensively in the 1960s about how women really need to step up and take over the world. And like you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And he, uh, it's on my blog site too. Actually, my blog site is buckyideas.com. Um, where you can go and find all this stuff for free, which is why my book doesn't sell very much is because I have tons and tons of free stuff online for people to read and they often get satisfied. Um, anyway, um, global air traffic control, proof that we can cooperate globally to make it work for everybody. Know your, oh, sorry, know your individual power. The line he said to me, which drove me crazy for years because I didn't understand it was, the future of humanity rests on individual integrity. And I always thought, well, how can individual integrity be that important? How come one person? And as he explained it, only the individual has the total freedom to act on their passion and principle. We have, you can be more powerful than any corporation or government entity because you're not controlled by any other, any other being. Um, he often expressed this with a trim tab analogy. You've heard of the trim tab? Mm -mm. Oh my God, uh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges made a big deal about it at the Golden Globes this year. He said, okay, I just wanna say one thing. We all have to listen to Buckminster Fuller and be a good trim tab. I remember you know, that. <laughs> Yes, but I didn't know what a trim tab was, and I forgot to ask you. <laughs> a trim tab, Buckminster Fuller always said it's example of the power of the smallest thing because a trim tab is actually a little tiny uh, rubber tab on the rudder of even the hugest ocean liner. And in order to turn that ocean liner, it starts with a little tiny trim tab. So someone would say Greta, Greta Thunberg, is a yes. wonderful example of a trim tab of somebody who on her own as an individual really stepped up and i always thought i was going to be one but you know i'm still trying she's I'm a little light that. being like she's you know she's like on the spectrum right mm -hmm. so she can mm -hmm. give a crap what anyone thinks about her but she just came from somewhere special and was born and was like oh, i'm gonna handle this what a brave she's young woman i adore her meant to be here Oh my God. Meant to be here. Okay. Number five, understand what needs to be done and then do it. So one of the things he always said was man knows so much, but does so little. And a 10 year old boy wrote to him once to ask Fuller whether he was a doer or a thinker. And how can you be both? How can you be both a doer and a thinker? And he wrote back the things to do are the things that need doing that you see need to be done, but that no one else is doing. If you operate that way, you will conceive your own way of doing things and doing only what needs to be done. No one else has to tell you how to do it. This will bring out the real you that often gets buried inside a character that has acquired a superficial array of behaviors imposed by others on that individual yeah um, and you know what he could have added is that when one person does that they kind of model it for other people 
and mm -hmm. inspire other people to do the same thing. Okay, the number six is to evolve consciously. Humanity must qualify to survive, he said. For this to happen, the time will come when humans will have acquired enough knowledge of generalized principles to permit a graduation from a class two entropic or selfish species into a class one syntropic or cooperative species. Thereafter, we will begin to make all the right choices for all the right reasons. He said to stay tuned to your own stream of consciousness so that you can continue to grow in your syntropic capabilities. Focus on your own conscious evolution and on the evolution of your own consciousness, which to me meant go ahead and smoke a little pot. <laughs> Uh, and that in that way, you will be helping humanity evolve to a higher level. You know, that and is so that is so universal. Like we, I have, you know, Gandhi said that or, mm -hmm. you know, be your best, be your best, be your best. My Nia Technique teachers, Ruiz, Gab, right? Gabrielle, that guy, the five, four agreements, be your best, be your best, be your best. Like I'm going to like the, the di difference of putting my banana peel in the garbage or putting my banana peel in the compost. It's like, could be so small. You know what I mean? Like the stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the individual integrity that Buckminster mm -hmm. Fuller told us to be mindful of and that that's all you have to do. I mean, to all me, it's to kind of an easy, it's constant. It's always there, but it's not like this huge, I have to go put on, you know, blazing sheets of armor and go out and, and fight the, you know, fight the world. Right. Uh, so number seven, uh, this was a really big one. I love this one, is remain comprehensive. So the Industrial Revolution forced us into an age of specialization. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad's a bricklayer. My, my dad's a car mechanic. My dad's an engineer. And we've been forced down that road. And it's very convenient for leaders to keep people specialized because it's only the comprehensivists who can run things. So if you go back to the great pirate ships, the, the, the ones who were running the whole uh, ship were the people who knew a little bit about everything. They had to know how this worked and how to fix that. They had to have this comprehensive view. So he called himself, and this was the key word, that if you go to the, the Buckminster Fuller Institute is a great resource for some of this more sort of scientific bent, but Buckminster called uh, himself a comprehensive, anticipatory design scientist. So his job was to remain comprehensive, but anticipate the future. So you're designing for the future. He always said that all of his ideas were going to come to fruition in about 50 years. And it was nearly 50 years ago that I saw him for the first time. Wow. Oh, wait, no, more than 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think there is, and he said his designs uh, and ideas would be accepted when the world was ready to accept them. And before I left that interview with him on the second day, which I didn't tell you the whole story about how it turned into a two-day interview. And no, I did not sleep with him. Everyone goes, did you sleep with him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, he was 86 and I was 24, so no. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, I told him that I would hang in there and not forget his ideas and carry them forward in time. He called me an empty vessel. 
which I was. I hadn't finished college. I had rejected uh, the whole college thing. I just took the classes I needed. I was a DJ. I became a news reporter. And um, he spent two days basically packing all this information into my head. And then many, many years later, and it's uh, not really a spoiler, but in my book, I detail the experience I had with a psychic who told me that, um, that Bucky had spun me off, that he had intentionally gone around in the year before he died and made sure that there were young people who would, were moved enough by his ideas that they would carry them forward. Awesome. Vessels to go for. So, like, Pat, can you open like Buckminster Fuller University and be the main professor and then teach more people? But besides your book, like, is there another way you envision spreading the gospel? Well, I'm working on a TED talk, a TEDx uh, talk. Anyway, I didn't get to number eight. So, Remain Comprehensive (laughs) is number seven. Uh, And number eight is speak the truth. So first he said, you've got to find the truth. You've got to dig through those specious notions. You've got to make sure that you really are feeling that you are totally in sync with the truth and you're coming from a place of needing to communicate the truth. And then, especially for women, he said, in order to have individual integrity, you must push yourself to speak up. Yes. Well... We kind of have joined into that movement. Yeah, no, Pat, like I have been, since I was a little kid, everyone silenced me. And I mean, everyone, like my parents, my brother, my sister, every single teacher. And if someone did say, oh, your feelings are so repressed and that's why you're depressed. So then I would get angry and they're all like, you're horrible when you're angry. I'm like, well, make up your mind. Do you want me to... (laughs) be like under the rock or do you want me to like say what I think and I whatever so Charlotte and I you might have heard this backstory go to Phil's coffee after my Nia class and then we were like shit we need to have a podcast because there's a lot to say there is (laughs) a lot to say and you are finding your voice in a way that is so cool thank you I love it you You both are uh, really amazing to uh, to talk with we need yeah. more women. We need more women who are willing to speak up. When I was in Pennsylvania recently visiting Bob's family uh, over Christmas, I was in this little store and I decided I was going to talk to these women who worked in the store about Trump. And they said, Oh, we hate him, but we'll probably vote for him because our husbands really want us to. Wow. And I spent probably an hour in that store talking to them and I'm pretty sure I converted them Bernie all the way, (laughs) but it was scary that how, how, how backwards some parts of America are. I mean, here in the Bay area, we have grown accustomed to this pretty enlightened, you know, uh, advanced at least thinking. Yeah. Primarily I cannot get out of my mind in the, um, 2008 when Obama was elected, but we also had the Proposition 8, which was going to make gay marriage illegal again. So there was the no on 8, right? And there was yes on 8. Mm-hmm. And I was driving to work that morning and there were people out like renegade, you know, folks with the yes on 8 everywhere. Mm-hmm. Putting, I'm like, 
where do you people live? Like, why, you know, why do you, I just, it's here. It's here just in way less a number, don't you think? Yeah. And you know, that's one thing we didn't talk about was how, when Bucky talked about the failure of America and how it was likely to happen, he was living in California at the time, which to me sounded like Goldilocks land being in the Midwest. But he said that uh, if America does fail, we'll probably uh, turn into a series of nation states and that California should join with Mexico for their labor and to, to get a really cohesive food production uh, system going. And also with uh, Washington and Oregon, BC, if they want to come, and Alaska for its resources. And if we did that, you could really rule and create and lead the way to a new world from this new Pacific Rim. Awesome. Well, Governor Newsom has been Governor Newsom has actually been using that phrase "nation state," and it has actually gotten people very confused. I've read several articles about what does he mean by that. I've, I think it's because I tweet at him. I tweet at him a lot. <laughs> actually, can we just say about Governor Newsom? I think it's wonderful what he's done, and I think he's going to continue to emerge as a stronger and stronger leader. But I would like to give credit where credit is due. He was kind of a screw up until he got his current wife, Jennifer. That's true. She is a brilliant documentary filmmaker. And I have a feeling, and she's pretending to just be mom, but I have a feeling before they fall asleep at night, she's like, and you're going to do this and you're <laughs> going to do that. I just think she's the, she's the, uh, mental muscle. She's, I think she's, I mean, he's not stupid. He actually grew up in my town, my little hometown here of Larkspur. He's a, he's, his, he's not, uh, my friends live in his house that he grew wow. up in. He's not stupid at all. He, um, you know, he lost a lot of points back when he was mayor and after he was mayor because he was like sleeping with his best yeah. friend's wife and everybody yeah. was really bummed out about that. But he like, he was also, he's an alcoholic and he's been sober since then. I think that's right. So I think he's really much better a guy now, I hope. And he's done, he's also a slick um, politician, don't you both think? Like, yeah, you know, the hair, bit. the hair, the hair, the hair, the hair, the hair, the hair thing. But he's but also he's a dad a now. He's a dad. And I think that's probably changed him as it does change men, I think. Good men. Well, you know. I just realized that his, his first wife is married to Donald Trump Jr. No kidding. <gasps> Isn't Kimberly, Kimberly, whatever Gar Garfoyle, Garfoyle. She was yeah. a she was a, a Fox News host. Fox News host. Yeah, that's 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 where she ended up. Uh, weird. Isn't that odd? I know that has nothing to do with Buckminster Fuller. It doesn't. But it does bring us back to the <laughs> fact that women are a very powerful force. And we are, go, go, go on to my blog and read this story, Why Women, why women Will Save the World. Okay. It really gonna... does call on all women, not just, you know, not just the Kimberly Garfoyles and the Jennifer Siebels, but it calls on all women to have the courage just to speak up to their husbands about Trump, just to, and I know that's not always hard, especially in this day when you're isolated, but uh, women need to have that courage and it really is essential to the future and if they all continue to shirk uh you know we might not get there you know we bucky always said there was going to come a time where there would be an emergence 
through an emergency. Mm. And this COVID feels like the emergency. And we will emerge, just like you were saying, with all the wonderful things that are spontaneously happening, we will emerge. But it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. People have to speak up. They can't just keep looking the other way. I thought the emergency was the election of Trump. I had no idea there was going to be another one. But in both cases, women have been taking the lead on a lot of things. Yes. And so many more women are running for office and yes. really trying to make a difference. That made a big impact. 2018, how the Congress turned like way more women and way more people of color. That was exciting. That was freaking exciting. Mm -hmm. So we need, if we can focus on that and see what happens. Do that again. While we have COVID election, I don't really understand what's going to happen this year because whatever, but. Well, we, that's why Trump is trying to kill the post office is because he knows that's the only way he can stop it from being a mail-in election, which it absolutely should be. One ballot, you know, per person. How could they, there's, there's no opportunity for voter fraud and they know that and they know the votes would be counted yeah we do it here we do it in my county we do it yeah we do it yep well by now it's so much easier okay well i think that we covered a lot and that pat there's so much more we'll have to talk to you a different time i mean i'm worried that i I wasn't funny enough oh you're funny you're very funny (laughs) i don't know if i'm here it's hard to it's hard to feel funny these days you know it's hard to (laughs) When there seems like so much that needs to be said, but okay. Can I leave you with one more thing? Sure. Yes. You want to read some serious Bucky if you want to, but, but that's more accessible. So his, his, his writing is actually very dense and hard to read, but this particular book, Utopia or Oblivion, the prospects for humanity is all about our choice. You know, that if we go this way, we're going to find utopia. If we allow ourselves to go this way, it's, it's going to end up as oblivion. And what's beautiful about this is they are, uh, a lot of it are transcripts of his talks, where when he spoke, he was easier to understand than when he wrote. When he wrote, he got real technical and real thick. But when he spoke, thousands of people would come and listen to him speak. He was like the rock star of the late 1970s. People would come and listen for hours as he would just go on and on and on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which now I can do. But anyway, I really recommend, <laughs> I really recommend this book. Okay. And my book. We will put my, book, your... my book is an easier read. My book is an easier read. Way easier. Your book is super entertaining and well-written and very personal. Nice. And endorsed by Bill McKibben. For God's wow. sake. You rock. Yeah. He said, I've been waiting for this book. I interviewed yeah. Bucky Fuller as a young journalist and the rush of profound ideas is exactly as this charming story describes. It also proves that serious is not necessarily synonymous with solemn. Lovely. That's an that's amazing point. Thank oh, you. Gosh. Yeah, that's really, it's the really special to me that he, that he, uh, Oh, he Pat, thanks so much for being on okay. our show and we'll see you next time. And we'll see you in the ether. See you on Facebook. <laughs> Take care. And maybe I'll come to one of your Nia classes. Come online and we're doing it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Right. Take care. Thank hun. you guys. Nice meeting you, Charlotte. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can get more information about it 
on facebook.com backslash Sharla Danielle podcast.